Chapter 8 of the Boy Scouts Through the Big Timber This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kenneth Sargent Gagan The Boy Scouts Through the Big Timber by Herbert Carter Chapter 8 A Scout Should Always Be on the Alert when the young scoutmaster chose to, he could put on a world of meaning in his voice, and those two timber cruisers, upon seeing both guns covering them so steadily, doubtless realized that firearms are no respecter of persons, since a weapon fired by a lad is just as sure to make good, if held correctly, as though a mature man looking along the barrel. And so they compared piled with the order, although grumbling and evidently loath to admit that a couple of boys had gotten the better of them. On uh, this here is a nice howdy-do, treating your guide like that, like he was poison. Mean? What do you mean, Yonker? growled the man who had claimed to be Toby Smathers, the forest ranger. It only means that we've guessed who you are, remarked Thad calmly. We were warned down at the post to look out for a couple of unscrupulous timber cruisers by the name of Hank Dodge and Pierre Laporte. Now, we don't want to have anything to do with you, that's all. Stay keen, who you're insulting, young feller, growled Hank ominously. Oh, said Giraffe, airily, we made sure to have our own gun ready in hands at the time he spoke in such boasting tones. We don't scare so easily, Mr. Hank Dodge, if that's your name. Fact is, the boys of the Silver Fox Patrol have helped gather in a few men more dangerous than you and your pal ever darned to be. Beast over giraffe, ordered Thad, who knew it was unwise to add to the anger of the ruffians. We don't mean to bother you at all, Hank Dodge. Our business here is nothing to do with timber cruisers, and we're not hired by the government to watch for any steals of lumber or land frauds. We came here to camp out and hunt, and just now we're busy looking up the comrade who has lost his way in these big woods. Do you understand what I'm saying? All over. Reckon it is how you put it plain enough, Yonker, replied the other, wondering if he noticed that he was gradually lowering his arms. But the very next word uttered by the boy told him that Hold them up again, Hank. I don't want to have to shoot you through the shoulder or the legs, but I will if you try to grab up that rifle. With a string of hard words, the man elevated his hands at once. Moreover, if black looks could kill, Thad must have been expired on the spot. Stuff in, said the patrol leader. Yes, what is it, Thad? Go forward and recover your gun. The other went on. Severely, I'm surprised at you letting it get out of your hands at all. A wide-awake scout should be smarter than that, and Stephen? Yes? Be sure you don't even a second get between the muzzle of my gun and our friends here. There's because I'm going to shoot the first one who makes the move, looking to grabbing either you or the gun. Hear that, Stephen? I sure I do, Thad, and I'll be careful, just as you say came the reply. 
The boy crept up on one side and, lying down flat on his chest, reached out an arm, thus starting to draw his own highly prized little repeater toward him. Hank could see it going and ground his teeth in helpless rage, for he could also watch the determining gleam in those convincing eyes of Thad Brewster. And only too well did he what sort of hard luck would be apt to overtake him if he but allowed himself to be tempted too far. When Stephen grabbed his little gun once more, he made haste to draw back the hammer. And thus, and thus a fourth weapon was brought to bear upon the persons of the two notorious timber cruisers. Hank Dodge laughed. It was not a mirthful sound at all, but rather caused a shiver to pass through the forms of those who heard it. We throw up the sponge, me and Pierre, don't we, old horse, said Hank. That's it, too much odds. We cave in, we give in, we cry out, enough, exclaimed the ferret-eyed French-Canadian boyer, who, they said, had once been the factor at a Hudson Bay Fur Company until he betrayed his trust and fled the States with a bunch of money belonging to his employers. We want to say good night, then, to both of you said Thad. We ain't again to forget this, let me tell you, replied Hank. I don't see why there need to be any hard feelings between us, Thad, went on. It's only a tit for tat. You held us up first, and now we've returned the favor and we haven't taken anything from you, Hank, Dodge. But held up by a pack of kids? We'll never be able to look each other in the eye again. Until that's wiped out some way, the man went on to say angrily. Thad knew that further argument would be useless. There was only one thing men of their caliber could appreciate, and that was force. Oh, well, he said as if carelessly, you can do just as you please about it. But I want to tell you this plainly, right on the start. We're all armed and can shoot as well as the next one. We're no tenderfeet like our chums, lost, and in spite of the plain warning you chose to molest us, look out you don't get something you won't like. That's all I'm going to say, but you can put it in your pipe and smoke it. Back off, fellows. Keep them both covered. And shoot if they try to grab up a gun. So the four scouts backed out of the hostile camp. The air, which did not seem to agree with them, those avarice eyes belonging to Hank Dodge did not create a favorable impression on any of the young comrades. I'm sure to believe he meant to keep my dandy little gun, Stephen was muttering, as having passed out of sight of the two timber cruisers, the scouts walked along in couples, on the alert for any signs of future trouble. And just what he expected to do, replied Tad. And another time we happen on any unknown men in this part of the country, see to it that you keep your gun in your own possession, Stephen. I sure will, replied the other, humbly enough. I had my lesson all right. What if they're coming after us? suggested Giraffe. And the very possibility of such a thing caused Stephen to utter a little cry of alarm and turn in several directions, as though expecting to discover crouching foes or seeing the flash that would accompany the discharge of a hostile gun. But nothing happened. Presently, Allen, 
who had been looking back over his shoulder many times, announced there was no danger. They haven't left the camp up to now, he said positively. I can see their figures moving in front of the fire. It's all right, boys. We can go and settle down after a little for the night. Presently, Tad called the halt. Here we can make a stop, he announced. There's a little swell at the base of this rocky hill. If we want, we can make a small fire and finish our supper. I don't think they'd see it, and besides, Alan and myself will stand guard up there on the ridge. This plan was carried out since they had not wholly satisfied their appetites at the time Alan discovered the campfire which they supposed had been kindled by the lost tenderfoot Bumpus. Afterwards, Tad and Alan came in, the fire having been extinguished, and ate a little. Then they talked in low tones. Makes me feel uneasy, remarked Giraffe. To think of that poor innocent thing of a Bumpus, who wouldn't lift a finger to hurt even a fly, wandering all around in these big woods. Yes, added Stephen, seriously enough. And with a couple of hard cases like that Hank Dodge and Pierre Laporte around, what if he was unlucky enough to run across him? Wouldn't they just take revenge on our poor fat chum? Hope that doesn't happen. Thad was not saying anything, but it struck him that a fellow who could show enough ingenuity to get himself out of a quicksand or a muck bed, the way Bumpus had done, might be far from the ignoramus some of his comrades still chose to believe him. Oh, man, I'm getting sleepy. I move we turn in, suggested Giraffe, after more time had elapsed. Well, hold on there, because we got to make a move out of this basin, said the shrewd patrol leader. Seems a good enough place to bunk in, grumbled the sleepy giraffe. But dangerous at that, Thad remarked. Those men may have glimpsed our fire and gave us a call. We'll not be at home, then. I've been told that a hunted man never sleeps where he eats. Come along, it won't be far, I promise you. After a short walk, Thad announced that in his opinion, as well as that of Allen's, it was now safe for them to lie down and, and get what sleep they could. I hope Bumpus is well off and got plenty to eat still, were the last words the giraffe spoke. Remember the time he got twisted in our bearings up in Maine and nary a match between us with a cold night at hand? But I got a fire all right with my little apparatus. Besides, there were two of us, and it didn't seem near so lonely when you got company along, even if it's only a tenderfoot scout. Soon, all of them had made themselves as comfortable as possible. The absence of blankets was going to be severely felt. Without a campfire to cheer them, Thad feared they would be shivering before morning, even if it was a good old summertime. The atmosphere close to the foothills of the Great Rockies is quite rarefied, and the nights are apt to be even colder. The four scouts were pretty tired, and they not only went to sleep quickly, but they slumbered heavily. Might have been hours, for all any one of them could say, when they were suddenly awakened by a series of heavy crashes and detonations that sounded very much as though an earthquake had shaken the Rockies to their foundation. End of chapter 8 Recording by Kenneth Sergeant Gagan